This session is from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. seems like hallway traffic has slowed down. So what they want me to do uh, is to tell you a little bit about me. Uh, then we'll pray and we'll jump into our material. So uh, where I'm from, I'm originally from Bardwell, Kentucky. Uh, you've never heard of it. Uh, we were 30 minutes from the nearest McDonald's. Uh, you had to drive that same 30 minutes to get to the Walmart singular uh, that existed in the city that was up the road. Uh, they did not pave the road in front of my house until I was in high school. Um, so uh, I am small town. Uh, I enjoy that. Um, went from there to Jackson, Tennessee, where I did my undergraduate studies, met my wife, Sally, uh, then came out this way uh, to Wake Forest, North Carolina to study at Southeastern Seminary. Uh, then spent close to 10 years in Augusta, Georgia, uh, running a parachurch counseling center down there. Um, you know, when you're in the parachurch, uh, you know, we would serve, I'd say, between 100 and 150 churches as a referral source, um, getting to know a stranger from a set of intake forms forward. Uh, counseling there was in the high formality expression. Relevance of that will make sense a little more as we move along, as we talk about various options that are there. Uh, I've been back in this area for a little over 10 years now, where I serve as pastor of counseling uh, at the Summit Church and also teach in the counseling department at Southeastern Seminary. Because uh, if you're in ministry, you have to wear more than one hat. It's just a necessity. Uh, it's part of the job description. But... Uh, that is the quick overview of who I am. Uh, our oldest son just went off to college. Uh, my wife lasted one day before we got a dog. Uh, and so we have a brand new puppy. I can spend a lot of time talking about Rookie, uh, but that's not what you came here. But Rookie's the sweetest little corgi you've ever met in your life. Um, but let's pray, and we'll jump into our subject matter at hand. Lord, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to set aside this time, uh, these days, to learn uh, about how we can be more effective ambassadors of yours um, in a variety of areas, uh, in our culture, in our community, that we would be salt and light uh, in a world that desperately needs it. Uh, use this time specifically, the next few minutes we'll spend together, uh, to be a part of advancing that work in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, our subject uh, is mobilizing church-based counseling, re-envisioning what counseling in the church might look like. Uh, you heard it in the way that I emphasized it. Uh, if I could pick one word up here to circle, uh, it would be might. What I'm going to share with you is not what I'm saying every one of you should be doing. Um, People who talk about what they do that way um, get a bit of suspicion from me. Um, but I do want to uh, take an approach to counseling uh, that it really baffles me why it is not more prevalent than it is in the church uh, and to commend it to you uh, as something to consider. Uh, that's meant to be a little bit of a tease where you wonder what mode of counseling would he be talking about that, um, that is underdeveloped in the life of the church. But uh, counseling itself, uh, counseling is a word like dog. Um, dog is a word that has a broad semantic range. Uh, dog means everything from poodle, uh, which is a cat that barks, um, <laughs> to a Great Dane, which is a horse that people let live in their house. Um, and if you say, I have a dog, and I say, I have a dog, neither of us should assume we're talking about the same thing. We do immediately have a litany of questions that we would begin to ask. Inside dog, outside dog, big dog, little dog, herding dog, guard dog, yipper dog. Uh, like, what kind of dog do you have? 
Um, when we use the term counseling in church, we use it with the same breadth of meaning. That uh, we might, when the kids go off to camp, they have camp counselors. After service, if you have people down front to pray with folks, you might call them prayer counselors. You probably talk about folks in small groups counseling and caring for one another. People might meet with a pastor for counseling. You might have a lay counseling ministry uh, that is different from the other things that we just said. There might be a counseling center that the church supports or help launch uh, that's more of a vocational expression of counseling. I would contend everything that we just said can be done in a way that honors Christ. In the same way that from Poodle and Chihuahua to Great Dane, all of them are dogs. Everything that I just said uh, can be God-honoring forms of counseling. I'm not going to try to get you all to use the word counseling the way that I use it. At the very least, I hope you are clearer in the way that you use counseling, the term counseling, because of our time together. Um, now, um, orient us here a little bit. Uh, when it comes to levels of care, levels of training, level of competence, roles that may exist when it comes to counseling. Um, you know, that first level up above the yellow line, all of us, all of our churches already have friendship level ministries. Um, where our people are fulfilling the one another commands of the New Testament in the way that they care for one another. that this isn't something that you launch. It may be something you enrich. Um, this is the level in which we all do counseling every day. We hear each other's struggles. We seek to be empathetic. We offer encouragement, hope, direction, perspective. Um, how many of you know Paul Tripp's book, Instrument in the Redeemer's Hand? Um, subtitled, People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. Uh, that is a one-another-level resource meant to encourage people to invest more meaningfully and authentically in each other's life. And we say yes and amen. But you don't put that as a tab on the website. Like, just because you have friendships in your church, you don't put a tab on your website and call that counseling. Once we cross the yellow line, that's where we begin to go, okay, we might put this as a tab on our church website. You've got the red <laughs> asterisk there meant to draw your attention to support groups and mentoring. This is that area that for the life of me, I don't know why churches don't do more of this. Like there's basically three things out there. Grief share, divorce care, celebrate recovery. And those things, they, like, you can launch those. And they, they have an audience that people come and they benefit. It's like, if those things are that effective, why aren't we doing more of that? Um, then you have educated counselors. Uh, that's folks who go through some type of training, uh, usually a certificate-level training. And uh, they, they do things in a way that we'll call pseudo-professional. They use intake forms. They get to know a stranger from a set of intake forms forward. They meet by appointment. Uh, they take case notes. They develop an individualized treatment plan, if you want to call it that, for each person to reach their own goals. Uh, then you hit the green light. Green line, uh, symbolic there, uh, money, uh, that when you cross that line, um, it's a vocation. Uh, people don't go get a master's degree to enrich their hobby. Uh, they go get a master's degree to get a job. And, and the difference between here and here is experience. Um, your average certified counselor has 50 hours of um, experience before they're commissioned to do what they do. Uh, your minimum licensure requirements are 1,500 hours. 
um, that in a church we're not going to really mobilize these things so much because those are vocations. Um, and so we're going to have uh, less of our attention there. Uh, we're going to look at that space between the yellow line and the green line. Uh, and I'm really going to try to compel, uh, create a, um, a case for in a way that's appealing to you that level to care. So let's just tell the story of starting a counseling ministry in a pseudo-professional model. Um, that if you are at your church and you're like, we need a counseling ministry. We, uh, and we're going to do it in the way we were talking about uh, training folks and meeting by appointment and getting to know a stranger from a set of intake forms forward. You're going to go recruit your best leaders. You're going to recruit the kind of leader that would be a candidate to be an elder, a small group leader, whatever that role is in your church that you give the most shepherding responsibility to a layperson. Because you don't want spiritually, emotionally, relationally immature people as your lay counselors. And you're going to train them for 12 to 18 months. Like on average, that's kind of the amount of time that churches uh, that would take this approach. Uh, it's going to be a rather extensive amount of training uh, that you ask these folks to go through, whether you do it in-house or whether you use uh, a certifying organization. And then as you take these best leaders and they are committing a year, year and a half to, um, to this training, uh, when they finish they're going to have a capacity of meeting with probably two to four people at a time. Because this is something they do in their hobby time. They have full-time jobs and full-time responsibilities. Uh, if they take on more than two to four at any given time, they're going to burn out. I would discourage you from doing that. Uh, you don't want your best leaders going to another church because you burn them out at your church. In um, those relationships... Uh, they, they're probably going to be measured in months, not weeks. Because if something merits counseling, it's probably not going to be resolved in two to three meetings. It's going to be a bit more prolonged than that. And it gets worse. Counselees don't graduate to become counselors. Everything in the ecosystem of a church self-replicates. People come to a small group, they participate, they join the group, they fall in love with what small groups are, they become a co-leader. When that group grows, it multiplies, it does not divide, it multiplies uh, into another group. It, it self-replicates from within. And so, but counselees don't graduate to become counselors. So whether by attrition, burnout, or demand, when you need more counselors in your lay counseling ministry, you start back at recruiting your best and training, and you take that long haul to something that is launchable. Don't hear me saying that model is bad. I'm just saying it's hard. Um, now, um, if I can make the story a little more uh, dark before we turn towards an alternative. How many of you like HGTV? <coughs> like you watch HGTV. So I like my wife. My wife like HGTV, ergo I like HGTV. Uh, that's kind of how that works. Uh, and all the shows are about the same. You got a couple, they've got like different houses. They're usually three houses, three designers, whatever. But if we're imagining we've got a couple coming in and they come and they look at a kitchen. They know the floor plan for a kitchen that they want, whether it's open concept with an island, stainless steel, whatever it would be, living room, same thing. They know the options that are there. But we're walking with this couple on this fictitious HGTV show that I'm walking you through, and they come to this strange room that they weren't expecting. It was a sitting room. They used to have those when people enjoyed being in their houses. And now our largest investment, we spend all of our money trying to get away from our largest investment. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, but 
they look and we're going to pretend there's not a window in there. It's a little dark, quite a bit of furniture because people would sit around and just talk and enjoy one another. And in the middle of the room on a pedestal kind of stand is a really expensive vase. And they get nervous about they're going to knock that vase over and so they just go move on. That's what most churches do when you say, hey, we should start a counseling ministry. Well, if we said student ministry, we know the floor plans, we know the different models, what is it that we want to do, how do we do that? Worship, we know what we're talking about. Small groups, Sunday school, community groups, whatever you want to call those, we know the floor plans. We come to counseling and we don't know the floor plans. And that vase in the middle of the room is liability. Because the question we ask, how are we not going to get sued? I wish that wasn't the first question we asked. But for just a moment, can I, can I do an aside here? You know who's not getting sued? You know who has been in thousands upon thousands of messes for decade upon decade with nothing but lay people doing anything that they do? You know who's not getting sued? You never hear them on the news. AA. Their informed consent's clear. Everybody knows what they're getting. It's a group-based counseling model. People who go there and get help, they believe in it enough that it, like, you know when you're talking to an AA person. Amen? It, and liability's not really an issue for them. Because they're not over-promising under-delivering. They're very clear about what they do and don't do, who does it, what the training is, all the things. We can, that vase doesn't have to intimidate us uh, the way that uh, it often does. So, if we're asking, if we were going to do a take two, starting a counseling ministry, not pseudo-professional, but groups and mentoring. And I use the term organic here because uh, I told you I'm small town. Um, if only big churches can have counseling ministries, something's wrong. If we so professionalize our mindset about counseling that only a big church with a devoted staff position uh, can have a counseling ministry that... It may have lots of professional integrity, but it just doesn't feel like that fits the church real well. Um, and so I think part of my responsibility in the position that I have the privilege to be in, where I'm the pastor of counseling with no slash, is it would be a poor stewardship of the role that I'm in if I didn't think through how to create something that was replicatable for churches of any size. Um, Again, coming from a small town, being saved in a small church, uh, that is a burden I gladly bear of like, how do we think through this well? So we're going to do things here, talking from more of a grassroots, organic um, launch model, not hire a staff person and they get, you know, they make it happen. So we'll talk about G4. What is G4? G4 is a group-based counseling ministry that provides a context for participants to invest a season of their life in overcoming a life-dominating struggle of sin or suffering. Most G4 groups utilize a subject-specific curriculum, meaning a subject of like addiction, depression, eating disorders, grief, trauma, something like that, uh, built around one of two nine-step models of sanctification. So again, a little bit of plumb line here for G4. One of the things we say, anybody comes to G4, they should be able to echo this to you. The gospel speaks to both sin and suffering, but it speaks to them differently. The gospel offers freedom and forgiveness for sin. It offers comfort and meaning amid suffering. No, we don't get saved from our suffering the way that we get saved from our sin, at least not until Jesus wipes away every tear uh, from every eye. But the Holy Spirit is called a comforter. And rock and refuge and very suffering-oriented metaphors are often used for who God is and who He wants to be in our life. 
in so many of the counseling wars that exist where people want to bicker and fight about counseling things is about whether the emphasis is placed on the syllable of responsibility, i.e. sin, or whether it's placed on suffering. Is counseling about the things that I do, beliefs, value, choices that contribute to my life struggles? Or is it about things that happen to me? Um, yes, that need not be a binary. We are fallen, broken sinners, and we live in a fallen, broken world. Bad things come from me. Bad things happen to me. God cares about all the things. Um, we don't have to choose on that. Now, in any given struggle, some aspect of that's going to be more forefront of the other. So our addiction curriculum is written around a responsibility paradigm. Our trauma curriculum is written around a suffering paradigm. Because in those experiences, it's not that people who are traumatized never sin. And it's not that people who struggle with addiction don't suffer. It's just for their struggle, one is a bit more forefront than the other, so that's going to be the leading paradigm uh, that is used. So that's enough for you to get the story, because our time is really about the story. I want to go back, and for G4, group-based counseling, I want to tell you a story like we did when we said you recruit your best leaders and go through a process. Uh, I'll use names this time. These are fictitious names. These aren't real people, but I hope the story seems realistic. So let's say you got Trevor and Connor. They are uh, two relatively young men in your church. Uh, they meet together at a Greasy Spoon restaurant for accountability. Uh, they've done this for several years, talking about pornography and purity. And at some point, it just occurs to them, like, we need to quit talking. We need to do something. And so they scurry, and they look for, like, resources of something that they could do. And they come across something called false love, which is our G4 purity curriculum. And they look at it, and they go, we like this. It's got nine steps. It's got a notebook. It's got some teaching videos that we hear the guy talk about it. Then we can go through. We read the stuff. We do the exercises. It guides interaction between us. As they go through, they're like, oh, this, this keeps talking about groups. We can't be the only two guys in this church that are struggling. So they go to Pastor Philip. And they say, Pastor Philip, you give us a room on Tuesday night. We'll lead a group on purity. They go to the men's discipleship coordinator at the church and just say, hey, next time we have an event, can we talk about this? And then they start to get a group. Now, these are a couple of guys, and so it takes them a while to realize they've got wives. Uh, we're slow. Amen, ladies, you can say amen. It's okay. We're slow. They're like, wait a second. This false love curriculum has a true betrayal curriculum that's for the spouse who's been betrayed by this sexual sin. And, and so Caitlin and Molly go like, we'd like to do that. And they, they say, oh, we'll, we'll lead a group. And as those groups get going and uh, they kind of have their critical mass, they get those first generation of people graduating. There's a couple of ladies in that uh, betrayal group. And they look as they're going through the end of the curriculum and they say, there's something in here for like... There's one of these just like this for depression and anxiety. That's always been kind of my dirty little secret that I, I didn't think it was okay to struggle with that, that we could talk about it. Like, I could I lead a group on something like this? And then one of the guys in the purity group is also on the police force. He looks and sees there's a trauma group. He's good friends with the chaplain, who's the chaplain for the police force, the fire department, the EMS. He's like, man, I know enough people that we see some bad stuff and it gets sticky. Like, if I could do what we did for this, for that, I'd love to do that. Well, then you get the challenge. Like, we're starting to get a lot of groups meeting at different nights, different locations. we got to get everybody together for a meeting uh, with Pastor Philip. Like, I think we need to go from having G4 groups to having a G4 ministry. Like, where we all meet at one night in one spot, 
we have a big group time where it's just you cover one of the nine steps or one of the seven core values of what makes G4 G4. After you do that for about 10, 15 minutes, you break out into your subject-specific groups. You do the same kind of stuff you've been doing in your individual groups there as everybody goes to uh, their each group. This is gold. At the end, even if it's only 20 minutes, you get your leaders together and you have a little bit of debrief time where you encourage and pray for those leaders. You, you don't let them go home with those sticky, question-hard situations without having got to talk about it. So, like, your leadership retention goes way up because the thing that leads to burnout and this kind of stuff is taking it home alone and feeling like you've got to be on an island with it. You can do enrichment training, bring in some people from the community to do that. So they move it together to, um, you know, one night. And then, like let's say uh, Pastor Philip, he's preaching, uh, he's got a sermon on anxiety, and he just he doesn't even break rhythm in the sermon. This was one of the reasons I'm so glad we've got a G4 ministry at our church. For some of us, the next step is going to be to uh, find more out about that G4 group that we've got on anxiety. There's lots of other groups that meet in G4. You can find all of those at yourchurchwebsite.com slash G4. And you got to keep that up like this. Uh, but you just keep the active groups right there. And when one of those groups serves the sermon, then without breaking rhythm, it's a natural application point that highlights that ministry as a whole. And it didn't take more than 20 seconds uh, in what was going on. You start to put some stuff out via your social media channels because some of these groups are sensitive. And if you say, like, hey, some of us have been through trauma, and you start making, uh, yeah, nobody likes that. But you put out like, hey, we're starting a group on trauma and it's right there on your Instagram or Twitter or X or whatever that thing is. In the privacy of somebody's cell phone, they can look at it. Um, and then this is the kind of thing that, um, you know, part of what we saw uh, when we first started G4, um, it was weird. About 70% of the people uh, who came to G4 at our church were not from our church. It took people from our church a little while to warm up to the idea that we could talk about this here. What was most encouraging to me is people, when they would finish their journey, they'd almost sheepishly come up and ask, can we take this to our church? Yes, we do not want you to join our church. You have a church. You don't need to join our church. Please take this to your church. It, again, this is one where even if we go back to the, we said there was like basically three things, grief, share, divorce, care, celebrate recovery. Uh, grief, share, divorce, care created by the same group, uh, actually just down the road here, uh, church initiative up in Wake Forest. Uh, the reason those two have taken off is because you can plug those into your adult education hour. People can walk down a hallway like this. They can turn right into that room where divorce care and grief share is, and they haven't disclosed anything about themselves that wasn't already public. Death and divorce are already known. A lot of these other things aren't known. If I turn into that room for trauma, for addiction, for eating disorder, just going into the room overexposes me. That's why having a ministry like this where it's like, hey, these are real needs. Um, again, our church, um, because we're multi-site, we have uh, two G4 sites on Monday night, one on Thursday night, that uh, in those parts of the church, those are the only things going on that night. Uh, so that there is a greater sense of healthy anonymity to take the first step of going, this would be a good place for me to grow. Again, that's an organic story where it just starts with two dudes going, we need to get a little more serious about this. And they find something that they like that can begin to replicate. Now, let's do the same thing with GCM. Uh, GCM, uh, what we're going to talk about here is primarily the premarital mentoring. You can take those same five seminars. You can let them be small group studies. When they're small group studies, they're just discipleship. 
Um, it, uh, if you think back to that yellow line, if you remember when we went to friendship, to groups, uh, one of the things I meant to say and forgot is when you cross that line from level one to level two, you go across that yellow line, the thing that happens, if I could coin a phrase to put to it, is artificial pairing. Somebody comes to a church, uh, comes to a pastor at a church service on the weekend, or they call the church office, and they say, I'm struggling with who can I talk to? And we artificially pair them with somebody who's not a naturally paired relationship in their life. When that happens, it, it needs to play by counseling rules. When it happens in naturally paired relationships... It's just discipleship. When I talk with you because we have a tenured friendship and I respect you, we can talk about really delicate things. I can even cry. That's not counseling. That's two friends doing life together. When I come to my pastor and say, I'm struggling with subject. Who can I talk to? You should talk to because they whatever experience or training. At that point, when we're artificially pairing, then that's where we go, okay, this needs to play by uh, not high formal counseling rules, but there's enough different there uh, that we need to know that it's different. So GCM provides marriage preparation, marriage enrichment level content. If a couple needs... Um, marital restoration level care because their level marriage is at a level of distress that enrichment would seem light and trite. Uh, GCM does not provide that level of care. It could be an aftercare resource. As an aside, if you're going to have a counseling ministry, you're going to have to be willing to tell people what you don't do. If you say that your counseling ministry does everything, that's a problem. Like even if we go, ah, the Bible is sufficient. In the same way that that piano in the um, worship center is sufficient to play Mozart. I'm not competent enough to play Mozart. The limits of my competency are no insult upon the Bible's sufficiency. We cannot use those as if they're exchangeable terms. And so if we're going to have a counseling minister, we're going to have to be willing to say, like, this is what we don't do, especially when we're putting lay people in that situation. That'll become clearer in a moment. So why mentoring? Here, I just want to create a compelling vision. I don't think the content would be all that different. If you look at GCM, I hope you look at it and go, yeah, that's what I want to cover uh, with couples when I'm trying to help them get ready to be married. What is different is the relational dynamic. Let's say you've got a couple meeting with a pastor and a traditional uh, pastor doing exclusively the premarital counseling. And that couple, they're three months into marriage. They have their rut row freak out, uh, early fights. We think we just broke our marriage. Um, what does it look like for them to reach out for help? They got to call the church office. They got to talk to the secretary. Uh, again, if any of you are a church secretary, greatly appreciate what you do. I know what it's like to try to get on the pastor's schedule because uh, when I was a parachurch counseling center, I spent a lot of time trying to get with pastors. Um, it, but then they got to come to church and meet in an office. What that does in terms of the how bad is that bad that I'm willing to take that step, it elevates that bad. That bad has got to be a little worse before I'm going to take those steps. But if they've been meeting with an experienced couple in the church and they've been meeting at a dinner table and it's been stories shared back and forth as they go through uh, this process and they have their rut row, we broke it moment, it doesn't have to be that bad to call. And when things aren't that bad, they're not near as hard to fix. Um, that the opportunity to, to have them in a relationship where they will reach out sooner. 
Again, this isn't say pastors neglect your responsibilities and getting to know the salvation of the couple and doing whatever else that you want to do with them in the preparation process. But the value of having that mentor that you'll reach out to early because it was a less formal relationship uh, is huge. Just checking how I'm doing on time here. All right. So let's do a narrative version uh, for GCM like we did for G4. Uh, this time we're going to start off with John and Lisa. Uh, John and Lisa are just a little bit older than I am. I told you my youngest son just left for college. Um, both of their kids have recently graduated, gotten married. As their kids were getting married, they got to see how a couple of different churches uh, handled premarital counseling. Make them wonder, what do we do? So they go to Pastor Brian. They say, Pastor Brian, how do we do premarital here? Pastor Brian talks about it a little bit. And they just ask, like, could we look at some options? Uh, pastor Brian's a good pastor. He wants to mobilize when people got a passion. Just see what you come up with. Yeah, look at it. Find something. Let me know what you think. So they come, again, in my stories, they just so happen to find GCM. And they say, hey, this was designed in a church. Uh, it's meant to use experienced couples like us to invest in mentee couples. Uh, it, you know, you can look at it, make sure you're good with like the theology and doctrine and that kind of stuff. Uh, Pastor Brian signed off on it. He said, Dalton Ginger are about to get married. Do you want to, like, would you want to mentor them? They said, sure. He asked Dalton Ginger. They said, yes. Great. We got a GCM ministry. That easy. Uh, they start to mentor. As John and Lisa get to know Dalton and Ginger, they love them. Like they just talk about them with their other friends when they're in small group in different places. That all of a sudden, you have more mentors than you got mentees. Uh, the church that I serve at tends to be weird. Uh, hopefully not in theological ways. But when you look at our college and young professional population, the chart does this instead of this. Like it is one of the larger demographics in our church, which means we have between 100 and 150 couples get engaged in our church every year because um, young professionals and college students are such a large part of our church. It... But in a church where it does this, you're going to have more mentors than you're going to have mentees. And so this church looks at it and says, we've always wanted a better relationship with the university in town. They go to the college ministry and they say, hey, if you've got couples that they're getting engaged, we're starting a premarital mentoring ministry. We would love uh, to get to mentor them. Because you know, there always been this concern that college ministry wound up being this ancillary church that when people graduated, they like church fell off because the college ministry was a church replacement. Here was a way uh, that, yeah, this fits really well. You have those who are getting engaged, but if you get a few of them, you get their friends because now this is kind of what they did already to get connected. Um, and you start to see college, young professional, demographic, increasing. Um, some parts of this will move on. My caution against postmarital mentoring. A lot of couples who want postmarital mentoring actually want counseling. They don't want postmarital mentoring. And so in my little fictitious story, couple comes, they, hey, we've got marriage mentoring. No, we don't. We've got premarital mentoring. Uh, but we got marriage mentoring. Uh, we, we're, we're in a mess. Can, can we meet with a mentor? And this couple, one of them's having an emotional affair. And when they come together, John and Lisa get paired with them because they're the most experienced uh, mentor couple. It's not the same. Like they're both, like they agree on the fact, but they're competing over the narrative that explains what's going on. They're leveraging and triangulating. This is not something that they can talk about in any socially acceptable way. It's like this is, this is not the ministry 
that we fell in love with with GCM premarital mentoring. And that's where I just said, like, hey, GCM, it's preparation, it's enrichment, restoration level care. It's great as an aftercare resource, uh, but it it doesn't go into adultery and addiction and abuse and things where like that it's enrichment and preparation is not restoration level care. And so again, they go through and they have their Thanksgiving banquet or not Thanksgiving Valentine's banquet. Thanksgiving's what's coming up next, but um, where every year they have mentors and mentees get together and bring them together and mentors have all of their mentees. And once they've done this for several years, like one of the things I love at Summit is our mentors talk about their mentees like they talk about their children and grandchildren. They will come up and tell me how many GCM grandbabies they have. And when they start getting Christmas cards from those couples and they see and they get the letters and the updates, it, it is one of the sweetest intergenerational ministries that we have. And so they do that, and they see it, and it's like, oh, this is good. So um, we're doing good here. Last slide, closing thought, and then questions. The goal of our time together wasn't to convince you that groups and mentoring are uh, the best and only way for your church to provide counseling. I wanted to be compelling. I didn't want to be controlling. Uh, I did want to convey, like, hey, there are some unique advantages here that, for my money, are really underdeveloped. Where we could have people that God has done some awesome stuff in their life, but we might not consider them an elder candidate. But because of that, they can minister in some powerfully unique ways uh, that that person who we would consider an elder candidate might not be as effective. Um, and so if you wanted to take next steps, um, these books don't actually come out till the end of the week, so they're not here. Sorry about that. Um, but mobilizing, um, this is the one that, if you will, is creating the counseling airport at your church. So it's for the leader that's going to oversee this ministry, pastoral leadership, who needs to be on the same page about what we're doing and how communication works, what the limit and scope of this kind of ministry would be. Mobilizing is building your counseling airport. Facilitating is training your pilots to carry passengers. Uh, pilots are your lay counselors. Passengers are the people receiving care. Uh, your lay person leading a group they don't need to know all this. Um, that what they need to know is how to lead a group really well uh, and how to find a curriculum that serves their subject well. Um, those who oversee it as a church, um, like they need to know enough about each curriculum and that kind of stuff that you feel like, yes, this fits with our church uh, doctrine. But like, I don't need to know all the details of that the same way that I need to make sure that when we talk about this and what we do with this ministry is actually what it's designed to do. Does that make sense why these are two different things? Uh, and then in your seat, uh, I put a little card there. This is completely free. Uh, in the fall, in the spring, we do a brief webinar series. Uh, some of these slides are borrowed from that. Uh, but if you're like, I wanted to do this at a slower pace, um, and think it through a little more, that's something uh, that we're doing for churches that want to leverage this kind of ministry further. So, there we go. Uh, question. Yes. Uh, did I miss where you explained what G4 stands for? Mm -hmm. um, no, I think I just rushed right past that. So G would be gospel Center groups. Uh, four is four types of groups. Recovery, support, um, always um, recovery, support, process, and therapeutically educational. What we really struggled with is if you pick one of those words, it niches your ministry. Like if you call something a recovery ministry, it's like, oh, that's for addiction. Or if you call something support, that's for emotions. 
and so we couldn't find a way, like a word that did the breadth of things that we wanted this ministry to do. So we're like, we want the gospel to be thing. It's groups. There's four of them. We're going to call it G4. We're not trying to one-up G3. Um, so, um, yeah. That's the second question. Yep. Uh, you mentioned AA, mm -hmm. and you also refer to a nine-step. Mm -hmm. Is there any comparison between the 12-step of AA and the nine-step of the G4? Um, so what we strove for is if you've ever met somebody who've made a lot of growth in AA, they cannot tell you their story without walking you through the 12 steps. Um, it, we wanted the way that we described the nine steps, there's like the two models, one for sin-based struggles, one for suffering-based struggles. We want them to be the gospel in slow motion where it is more faith forward um, in the way that they're constructed. Um, at the same time, especially in our addiction group, if somebody has found significant progress in AA and they come to a G4 addiction group, uh, I hope they find their journey is honored and that they understand their faith of why some things were more effective than they might have thought they would otherwise be more than to have their initial journey deconstructed. Um, that, uh, so they are highly structured. Because again, when you're working with lay people, this is another advantage here. Like you just, in my opinion, you want a lay person being really good at one thing, not trying to be at a general practitioner. So when you lead a depression group, somebody's not going to come to a depression group and ask for help with trauma. If you've got a lay counselor who's just a lay counselor, like anybody will come with anything and just expect that person's supposed to be able to help them. That's part of the delimitation that helps you with good informed consent and uh, expectation management. So in the sense of it's a structured step work model, uh, our G4 manuals are comparable to the big book and just the way that they're structured of like this is a step work curriculum um, it's an open group model uh, that's the thing that will really shake some of your etch-a-sketches uh, if you want to know more about that you're going to have to get facilitating but everybody's there at a different step but if you're going to communicate effectively about a counseling group ministry you really need it to be an open group model because if you're like, ah, oh, we've got groups that start in August and groups that start in January, and if you come at any other time, you just have to wait until they start again. And then you've got to have a push for communication about those groups at the same time that you're pushing everything else that's starting in your church. Don't do that to yourself. Having an open group model where people can join any time is really important for the vitality of those groups and you not creating a hornet's nest of a headache for yourself. Um, I very intentionally got my degrees in psychology and pastoral counseling and entered ministry thinking people would be busting down the door to get counseling. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not the reality necessarily. Uh, while I do some counseling, it's not as much as I would think. Mm -hmm. um, and any advice that you could give, I don't know if that's normal or if that's just me, mm -hmm. um, towards even within a G4 model, how you can get people to maybe share with the pastor things that they don't normally like to share with the pastor. Mm -hmm. They might like to share with a stranger. It's intimidating to talk with your pastor. I mean, we can be the nicest people in the world. Uh, it's intimidating to talk with your pastor. Uh, it's not unlike my younger son is really into baseball. When his arm hurts, the last person he wants to tell is his coach. Coach, I won't tell you I'm hurting because I, I want to get to play. Uh, there's a sense in which, like, uh, as pastors, that's us. And so sometimes just us making aware, like, here are some avenues that don't have to come through us to receive care. We're removing a barrier that we wish wasn't true. Like, we don't want to take ourselves so seriously that we're intimidating. 
at the same time, just the role that we're in is intimidating. Um, that um, your best promoters for a ministry like this will be the people who graduate. Uh, there's a group that they're in our addiction uh, G4 group. Uh, one of the pithy little statements that I use in that curriculum is, you'll never be more free than you are honest. They made t-shirts. Like just on the back, you will never be more free than you are honest. And whenever I am teaching anywhere, they are there. And it, like their sense of enthusiasm and hope destigmatizes that subject in a way that it doesn't matter how nice or compelling that I am. Um, them doing that is huge. And so with anything like this, getting from your first generation to second generation leaders, it, you're going to put so much more work getting from first generation to second generation leader than you are getting from second generation to third, fourth, fifth generation leader. Uh, and you have to tell your first generation leaders, like, it, the soil is usually difficult to till at first. Once you start to get some seed in the ground and this grows, uh, the ground gets softer uh, much faster. And is this the name G4 like? Is it counselor? Churches can use that? Or is mm -hmm. it kind of a, is it summits? Like? Nope. That everything we do with this, uh, I mean, that's why this right here, we've field tested this for about a decade. Uh, didn't want to bless people with things that we hadn't tested for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, G4 logo is right there. Um, that the kinds of things that you find, there's a summary video. Uh, I probably should have played that, just didn't think of it. Um, that I very intentionally with our production team. I said, I want a version of this video that has Summit, lo uh, Summit website at the end of it. I want a version of this video that does not have that, that we can give to any church that wants to do this and they get their, we don't do your video editing for you, but you can get uh, free video editing software and put your church website slash G4 there because again, that burden of like, hey, you shouldn't have to be a big church to have things like this. Um, that's where these webinars, uh, being a next step, uh, for churches that want to, every fall we do a series of cohorts. We're just wrapping one up now uh, for churches who go, we want to come, we want to see, we want to go through a launch plan process. This is something that uh, we're really trying to commit, that we think there's a lot of gospel impact that can be had. We want to do the things that we can do while still being responsible in our area uh, to allow more churches to do this. All right, so you're free to stick around. Uh, I should let those of you who don't have a pressing question uh, go because the next thing's about to start. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.